Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today's guest is Adam Force. Adam is the founder of Change Creator. He helps entrepreneurs break free from what they're told they should do and instead pursue their dreams to do something more meaningful, a way to live their life with truth and no regrets. Adam, we're going to make some change today. Let's do it. Let's motivate our listeners here. You know, (laughs) I mentioned to you a little earlier, I've... I've made several changes over the course of my professional life. Many times it was internal factors that had me make those changes. A couple times there are external forces. The biggest external force for me was COVID. Prior to COVID, I had my own production company for about four years. And I was in a groove of commuting an hour and a half each way, which I didn't mind. Because I had, at that point, been doing that for over 25 years. I always commuted from Long Island to Manhattan. And for the production company, I would develop shows with comedians that I worked with and developed and pitched shows with my writing partner. And then COVID came and shut the whole business down. And we couldn't go into Manhattan anymore. We were in a co-working space. And we, you know, we... We couldn't go back for the unforeseen future. So we stopped, you know, it was a month to month lease and we decided, Hey, you know, we can't just throw away this money. We're going to put that on pause. And I found myself with a lot of time and myself and my family took a hobby that we had and started doing something for fun on Instagram that all of a sudden started to get some traction and people liking it and asking to purchase this bread we were making during the pandemic And farmer's markets became a thing because they were considered an essential business. And with the free time I had, we all, my family and I started going to farmer's markets and we got into this thing we never thought we'd get into. And going back, it's like, 
I knew I couldn't go back to the city every single day. I knew my life was going to be different from that moment forward. Yeah. I didn't want to necessarily give up everything. But the other thing that had changed was where I, I used to fly to Los Angeles to take these meetings. To this day, they still don't take those meetings in person. All right. So there was this tremendous change thrust upon us. So I know, you know, change is a big part of, of what you do when you consult with entrepreneurs. You know, do you find that people have these aha moments when they're least thinking about it? Or are they changing because they're forced to change? Someone's making them change. Someone told them your life can't go on this way. Now you need to find something else to do. Mm, I mean, when you're talking about early stage stuff like that, my experience has seen that it's a variety of circumstances. Obviously, there is forced change, which means you know some external force is creating a pain in your life that you have to now respond to. Or... 80% of the people I've interviewed, and I have done, I don't know, about 300 interviews on our show, uh, it's usually a travel experience that inspires them to change something significant in their life. And that usually relates to the work that they're doing, right? You know, we've all heard the whole story is what I do isn't meaningful and they want to do something more important to them and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, travel is a, a major motivator that inspires that kind of thing. What's an example of how, what do you mean by that? You know, how can travel motivate somebody or discover that they want change? Because travel opens the mind to different perspectives and experience. And it makes you remember that it's a big world out there and there's a lot of opportunity to do things. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One example is my first trip to Costa Rica, maybe 10 years ago. I was traveling every day to New York because I still worked in New York, but I was living in Philadelphia. I was out in Costa Rica because we wanted to escape kind of this rat race. My wife, you know, was busy. I was busy. We're doing the city life. We lived in New York, Philly, all that kind of stuff. So we went out to a very remote area. I mean, barely like electricity, right? Like really out there. And we wanted to detach from civilization. Um, being in that circumstance uh, really had me thinking. I literally have a picture of when I was sitting in, in this almond grove, basically, which is where the meets the ocean. It's like these, you know, trees that, and I'm sitting in there looking out at the ocean, and I'm just saying, ten years from now, am I still going to be working in corporate, kind of like waking up every day and doing this routine? You know, what am I, what am I aiming at? Am I going to be CEO, trying to be vice president? Like, what is it? I was director of like strategic marketing at WebMD at the time. And I just realized at that moment, I was like, dang, I was like, that's not, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine 10 years from now still doing this. And so it was because I was out there, it got me thinking. I was kind of alone with my thoughts. And it was the stimulation of this different environment that kind of, because I was like looking behind my, over my shoulder saying, God, Everyone's back home in the city, New York, Philly. They're running around doing stuff. And here, everybody out here, we're relaxed. We're going slow. We're doing our thing. It's different. Like, it doesn't have to be like that, right? And it made me think these thoughts, which then that is when I decided I had to change the trajectory of what I was doing, right? So what did that look like? Well, the, the, the idea of doing that 10 years from now was very painful to me. So that was painful enough for me to say, when I got back, I lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Philly, and I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning every day, and I had a, a sense it was one bedroom. That means my computer was in that bedroom, which means my wife got to have the enjoyment of me being on the computer at 3.30 while she tried to sleep. And I would 
do work. I had no idea what I was trying to figure out at the time. I just knew I needed to figure something out. And then I'd get out of the house by seven o'clock and go catch my train to New York, come back. And I did this for a few years before I started my first business, which actually became Change Creator. <laughs> oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. Well, actually, As I listened to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was the first? I ran a record label out of New York when I was living in New York. So I had a record label there. We did all kinds of fun stuff from the party scene. It was a, a dance music record label. And we were flying in artists from all around the world, doing record release parties and shows and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that was my younger wild side. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, man. Sounds pretty creative. Yeah, as, as I listened to you talk before, there's so many things that, that pop into my head and questions. As... as uh, as strategic marketing expert at WebMD, MD, yeah, were you, what were you ta- were you tasked with trying to get people to uh, self-diagnose and and just hit WebMD? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. that's, I know that's how I know WebMD. Man, you have a headache, you look it up, and you oh, think yeah, they, you could have thirty oh, different sorry. diseases. <laughs> <laughs> no, my job was um, basically big brands would come in and say, "Hey, we really want to reach these doctors or this audience, people who are in this audience uh, category." And I was a guy that would come up with the strategy. Here's a million dollars. What's the strategy to accomplish this? And I would be the guy that has to come up with the strategy on how to execute and accomplish those goals. So I would go through all the data, come up with the insights, and then the marketing strategy, and then the sales team, I'd go out with them and we pitch this idea and we sell the idea and that had to get them a return on the investment. And so that was that was my role. That's how I learned, you know, storytelling for marketing, because you don't sell a million dollar deal without mastering the art of storytelling. Right. And storytelling, I know you think, as well as I do, is very important when you're building a brand and you're going out to market to talk to people because you want people to tell your story to their friends, right? So there's natural and organic spread of the message. But before we get there, the change that you identified when you went to Costa Rica was pretty big, pretty big lifestyle change. Yeah. And then... You know, I, I've read some of the things you've written and, and listened to some things you've talked about. You know, then there's the the micro changes within the business. Let's so let's let's jump to somebody already has a business. Yeah. Is it important to really look in the mirror and see what's working and what's not working? Right. A lot of people kind of peter off. There's initial burst. I could tell you with our bread business. You know, when you're new and you start to get a little press here and there, that lasts for about twelve months, and then you're you're one of the rest of them again. Yeah. There's no more free press, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is important to look at those things. And, you know, honestly, now I've really only been working with people like, so we run services and we work with e-com brands and I've only been working with people that make, you know, anywhere from 40 to 50,000 a month. Because if you're not there, you're earlier stage, right? And that comes with a whole other world of just like, they need to learn and go through a lot of different experiences, right? It's very different. So to your point, yeah, you should be looking in the mirror and what's working, what's not working. And I guess where people get hung up is in those early stages is they say, well, the money's not important to me. This is my passion. And you know, they burn year after year sinking money versus making money because that they just told themselves that it's not important. <laughs> uh, or they're going through and they have this passion for something 
And so no matter how bad it gets, they stick with it. And they don't know when to look at that and, and analyze the situation and make an actual change. They're afraid to change it because no, 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 that's my baby. That's my, you know, like example, we ran Change Creator Magazine as our first product. This was a huge mistake, okay? Because high, high overhead, think about it, all the writers, designers, everything from building out the apps, like all the stuff. And then you have this low ticket price point. Oh, here's 15 bucks for the effing year of all of our hard labor, right? Like you need massive scale. And so that's very difficult. And so not only did I get by issue seven, Ariana Huffington, issue eight, Tony Robbins, like I had all the big names, it didn't, it didn't, I don't know if I can curse. It didn't effing matter. You could curse. You could curse. <laughs> okay. didn't yeah, you could curse. Matter, yeah. man, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, like that stuff is not going to bring in the big bucks. Okay. And so I was, I invested. Wait, it, let me ask a question right there. Yeah. If that's not going to bring in the big bucks, what is like, it seems like the goal with these things are to get those big names and leverage off of the big names fan base a little bit. You think. And you also think. those big names are providing value. No. You get, you do get something in return. It's brand equity. Your brand name gets some credibility, but that doesn't bring in cash. Nine times out of 10, those big players are not sharing this with their audience. So you don't leverage their, audi their audience. And two, like having them on your magazine can get you a spike. Like we've done press releases. Tony Robbins talks about this, right? You know, and you can get a spike, but that's not sustainable. That's not going to be something that sells for the year at that kind of volume, right? You get like maybe a week of volume and then it kind of, so now you're stuck. Brand equity, great, but there's but a wait, lot of- wait, Where involved. does the money come in? Where does the money come in then? The money comes in when you're smart enough to focus on things that really make you money. <laughs> you know? So I shut the magazine down. I was my hard decision. So you talk about looking in the mirror and making decision. I had to say, wow, we can't focus on this and what I know I think we really need to do to pull in cash flow the way that we need to. Um, so I have to make a hard decision. Do we detach this, right? And so we kept it live as a library of content in the app and made it a dollar a month to subscribe. And we just put it out there, but we're not producing new content. Then I connected our website. So blog articles feed in there too, right? So now we have a content library of premium interviews and content. Tony Roberts, Richard Branson, they're all in there and anybody can read it for a dollar a month. And now we have that. And that just brings in ongoing revenue. And so we left it there, but we're not producing new content. Now all of our attention at that point in time went to developing a course. We sold that course, $2,000 per customer, right? And we got cash flow going. Now that's a, a product we were really able to sell and make some cash. We can run ads. We can do all these things. And then we get into another big pivotal moment where I decided that I wanted to offer services to people because everybody in our course was knocking on the door. Hey, Adam, can you do this? Can you do this? And I was like, we're not really a service company. And then I decided to give it a shot and we did it. Had some very interesting results. What service? Uh, so we what service are they asking you to provide? Um, at the time, they were asking, hey, you're teaching us in your course how to take storytelling into your marketing and apply it to your website and digital assets, right? Well, I don't know how to do my website stuff. Can you help me with the website? So it became website. Help me with the putting, building my story out on the website to sell more, right? And that turned into supporting specifically e-commerce brands and then sales funnel systems 
And now we do the whole thing. We bring in the traffic by running ads. We set up your site and sales funnels. And we basically focus on one thing. We sell more for you, period. That's all we do is we sell. I mean, we got very good at that. And guess what? That I can get on the phone with somebody and I can sell a $20,000 deal a lot easier than I could sell a $10 magazine subscription. (laughs) That makes (laughs) a lot of sense. Uh, You know what else makes a lot of sense? Ladies and gentlemen, I have just decided to close this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guess what? It's now going to be premium content. (laughs) I did a podcast every week for the past five, six years. And in the past like two months, I haven't posted a new episode. I haven't done a social media post probably in the past like year. You know what I mean? I actually, I'm even violating the, the ultimate rule of not emailing my list. I got people coming in my list every day on lead magnets. They go through my nurture series and stuff. But after that, I'm not writing any emails, not doing anything. All I've decided to do is focus on my clients and make them crush it because now that gives me marketing power. I have a client who just gave me a video review saying, there is no other team like it out there in the market. Adam and his team got me to $100,000 a month in month two of working together, Mm. right? Changed our whole business. But the only reason I was able to get those results and do that is because I decided to focus on what was most important. And now that's going to give me tools to grow even further, right? And guess what? If I want to now run courses and do a magazine, I have the cash flow system running like a well-oiled machine, right? I built it. So basically, in a long story short, I did the right things with the magazine at the wrong time. I, you, have to, right. you have to figure out, well, where's the cash come in to create a foundation so that I can do these other things and afford to do them? You don't have to rely on them as your primary source of income. So it's timing in business is an absolutely critical factor, just like it is in anything in life, right? If your timing is off, you are fucked. Like you're not making money, period. So do you regret doing the podcast for five years, running the magazine, or did something good come out of it that you were able to use when you ultimately figured out it was time to make a change? I don't regret any of it because it led me to what I'm doing right now, right? Lots of experience, lots of connections, brand equity, learning a lot. So yeah, like I, I still do the, I'm doing the podcast still, but I'm going to relaunch it in the new year with a new format. And it's going to be dialed in more to what we're focused on now with the e-commerce brands. So yeah, a relaunch is happening with that. So I'm not giving up on it, but yeah, there's there's connections, networking, all that stuff happens. It's great. But at the end of the day, those things don't make money. And if you're spending your time running the podcast, because I get all the new, I all the same conversation when we coached like newer entrepreneurs, it was, well, I got, I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm like, okay, are you making any money? Not really. No. Okay. So do you think you should spend your time hunting down leads for a podcast, paying a VA to, to do this, that, and the other, to edit the podcast? That's not where you spend your time. Like it's wrong. Like you're, you're focused on the wrong things. This is the hard lessons that I've learned and that others, they don't like to hear it because it's fun. We want to focus our attention on what's fun and what's cool and what's trending. Gary V says, post like 30 times a day. Well, I better make 30 social media posts. Oh shit, I can make more money now in a month than I did all year before. I don't do one goddamn social media post at all. And business keeps falling in my lap. (laughs) 
Let me, let me hold up right here because I want to stay on this. Does it depend on what service or product you're providing? Right? Because you, you have a, a, a customer base that pays good money for your services, right? So you yeah. don't need... I go to a farmer's market or I have vendors out at farmer's markets. I need to sell, you know, to, to make a little bit of profit, 400 loaves of bread that are perishable, right? So that has to be made. Crazy business. That's a lot of stuff you got to move and you got to get enough bodies at those places to buy those things. And I do post a lot. I do post a lot. That takes a lot of time. Takes a lot of creative energy. I don't know. If I stop posting, would they know? And I understand like we are looking for the, the super fans. We are looking for, as some people call it, the smallest viable audience to come and become repeat buyers so they but say don't you have to post so they say well i just spoke to brendan kane he um he's done over like a billion dollars with like working with clients and stuff running the ads and everything and he's known for his book called hook point so we had a conversation the other day and um, he was telling me how what goes viral is when you can create content that's relevant for your audience yes relevant for your audience of course duh but it's going out to the generalist okay the generalist. So he calls it generalist content. And so it would be like... What is that? So that's kind of like saying, if you were going after a specific group of people to, who buy $10 million houses, and that's like your business in real estate, you might be like, hey, uh, come check out this $10 million home that's on the water in California. You are going to love it. And you show it as a video like on social media. Generally, anybody's effing curious about that. It's not just the person right. who wants to buy it. So the content will bring in tons of eyeballs, but also the people that you need to, right? So generalist content is creating curiosity along, among a, a broad spectrum and not just very specific group of people. That's, that's in the essence of trying to think of like getting new eyeballs and going viral and stuff like that. Going very specific is important in marketing to sell something for sure, right? You want to you want to speak to like a single person kind of thing. So or we have an event that we're going to be at in person. We need to and we're at different events every week, right? So yeah. we, they need to be aware that we're going to be there. Well, here's what I would do if I were you. And I was my wife used to, she makes artisanal bread. My wife does it too. She loves it. She, that's like a hobby, <laughs> right? And it's yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing bread. She's got all these damn kitchen tools and appliances and all the things you got to do, right? Yeah. So I was like, holy crap, this bread is better than any store I can buy it in, right? Which is probably what you have going on. It's just you can't beat it, the homemade bread. And if mm -hmm. I was selling it, I would probably be thinking about. Um, how do I scale this? And I don't want to sit there at a farmer's market trying to sell 400 F and loaves of bread, hoping that 400 bodies come by so I can make like 50 bucks. You know, like that's just a waste <laughs> of time. So one, the number one thing most people don't know, even the guys that are making $50,000 a month, I get on a phone with our first strategy call and I start looking at the math. They're like, holy shit. They don't really know the math of their numbers. Like they don't understand mm -hmm. how to make it work for their business. So we get into that. So know your math. But I would probably be, that bread you can freeze, 
and then heat it up and it's still pretty effing good. Like it's, it's, it's 90% there. You know what I mean? I don't think it loses much because we do it all the time with focaccia and stuff like that. We freeze it and we have it and I can heat it up in the oven and it's nice. So what you might think about is yes, there's fresh for local delivery. That's great. But at scale frozen bread, and then I would be doing an email list building strategy saying, we'll send you free samples. You pay shipping. I'll send you a free sample of bread. Because you know the only way they're going to keep buying it is if they taste it and go, oh my God, that's amazing. Now you have a customer, right? They have to taste that. And you could do that mm-hmm. in the farmer's market. You probably give them a piece, they taste it, that's amazing, and then they buy it, right? So, you know, the scale sure. model would be build an email base of really fun breads. There's so much fun creative you could do with bread, marketing, and advertising. And I'd be like sending out samples. That's the marketing investment. Just like you pay for ads, I'd be paying to like get people to taste this shit, right? So that right. would be my marketing budget. And then I would be pushing real hard to get them to buy and sell and subscribe and all that stuff. Question. So this is the analogy is like you go on Facebook and you, you put down $500 worth of ad money and the results come back. And what is it? The CPM, the cost to acquire a customer, right? Yeah. And you're saying rather than do it digitally... At first, acquire the customer live at an event, like create no, an event. No, I'm maybe. Like, I'm saying, but do first, it. you're you're saying mail it to them, mail it to them. Like, I'm saying, I'm just throwing out an idea. The marketing campaign is try our bread for free. Period. Try our bread for free. All you have to do mm-hmm. is pay for the shipping. You give them the bread. But why not? Again, I'm spitballing an idea, and it may be a horrible idea. You're the expert. I'm not. But if I, like there's these, these local food blogs on Facebook, groups of, of foodies, people who like to go to these events, why not create the live event where I know they're all going to see my digital ad? You come, you will get my bread for free that day. How are they going to get it's like, it? It's the same thing as the- A live well, event? Well, they have to show up. Or virtual? Yes. Live. Oh, wow. I, I-, I guess I always have the mindset of conquering local first. And maybe that's... I always have the mindset you know, of go big <laughs> scale. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I want to be able to run an ad and turn a sale, period. Like, I'm not trying to get on the street and hustle with people. Like, everything <laughs> I do, like, I started with a company uh, in the skincare space, and we run campaigns to a product directly. Add to a direct sale. Only after we really solidified that process and it's like very profitable, then I'm like, okay, let's start this email strategy now. Now we're going to take a step back and have an email gateway. But at first, I just want to know, does my offer work? And your offer, if, I, if this is what I would be testing, is I'm just saying like artisanal, try our artisanal one-of-a-kind bread for free. That's my ad. They go, oh, fine, I'll try it for free. You can't get this at Publix or ShopRite. You cannot get it there, okay? It's not it's non-existent. Right. And I know that you've tried their bread, and it's like, oh, it's okay, it'll do. But don't you want something great? And so this is handmade artisanal bread. Try it for free. Why are we doing that? I'm willing to pay for you to have that. You just pay the shipping, because now I have your credit card information, right? You pay the shipping. And... Not only on the next page could you be upselling them something to buy the actual bread, uh, more of it at a great discount, but you're getting their contact information, you're building your list, and it's going to cost you very little to build that list when you're giving away free bread, 
you send them like a sample pack and they get to taste it and then hopefully they buy it. So whatever the number one seller bread is, that's what I'd be using as my hook. And I would be getting my, the whole objective there without getting too deep into strategy talk is to get people to taste the bread. And I'm willing to pay if I know that when someone tastes it, like at the farmer's market, they put it in their mouth and they go, fuck, that's good. That is good. I'll take one. If that's, if that's what's happening, I'll pay all day long to ship, to send that shit out to people. I'll make bread and I'll send it out because I know once they taste it, I'm going to have this nice, sexy page where they can come back and buy it and maybe even get on a subscription. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mind-blowing. Yeah. What about text list versus email list? I like email lists, and I have um, not done enough with text lists to give a, a, a good take on it. I think it's very valuable, but it's a more personal space. And it has to be just leveraged. But I think there's a lot of value in the text messaging space. Especially, I've seen like, I've seen some of my customers who do text messaging for their follow-ups on abandoned cart. And 40% of their revenue comes from those follow-ups. Abandoned cart. I mean, I see that feature. I, I do my own website. Because listen, we've been bootstrapping this side business. And, you know, I see that feature a lot. You know, but it's, I, I guess to use it effectively, it's not as much, it's not so easy uh, to set it up. Like you could put that plugin on, you could turn on the abandoned cart feature, but exactly how to harness it, I'm not sure, you know? Yeah, it's just connecting an email service provider that will send an email. Like a MailChimp. Yeah, Clavio, MailChimp, Active Campaign, you name it. I hate Clavio. That's just me. I love Active Campaign. I think that's the better tool, but there's a lot of good tools out there. Depends what you need. All right. So I've I've heard you also talk about social entrepreneurship. Could you yeah. tell us exactly what that means? It just means you're using you're kind of starting a business to solve a social or environmental problem. So, you know. A business with good intentions, um, it could be like a zero waste fashion. You know, our waste, our, our fashion products, we make clothes and we don't have any waste, which is polluting our oceans and all that stuff and filling up landfills. We also pay the women who make our clothing a uh, fair trade. You know, that is a social enterprise. The cleaning up the ocean, like for ocean company, like that's a social enterprise, like stuff like that. You know, I work with companies that are like 100% uh, natural, organic skincare products, no toxins, healthy for you. Like I see that as a, that's a great brand with a great product that I want to get into more people's hands versus the other products with the toxins and stuff like that, right? So 
it's going to be it's going to be companies like that that are having good intentions behind them. Mm-hmm. And how important do you think that is to, you know, like let's let's just keep using a bread company, <laughs> right? There's a lot of there's a lot of types of bread. There's bleached flour. There's unbleached flour. Like obviously, bleached flour causes cancer, or at least tests say that it's not good for you. And it's so much cheaper that a lot of the bread produced in supermarkets do you use inferior flour to arts and bread makers like myself and and what your wife does. But is it, it's got to be genuine, doesn't it? You know, you want to naturally want to do that. You don't want to just come up with something as a marketing strategy. A lot of people do that and then they don't execute. That's called greenwashing. So they kind of do all that stuff. But yeah, of course it should be based on intention because it becomes part of your story, right? You know, here I am, I got a, a brand that, uh, close with, I'll stick with the same brand for con- continuity here. You know, she started as, this all natural skincare brand because she's a mom of four. She had certain ailments that were problematic. She found out through her research all these toxins that they eat or put on their skin. And so she started making products that were non toxic for her and her family. People really liked it. And now she has this great product. So she started selling it to other people. So there's a story about why she did this and what the intention behind it. So you can always like, I think everybody can step into that space, but while that is important to customers, it's not why they buy. Uh-huh. If people think Got that matching that to their, to their business, it's nice to have, but it's a secondary component to why people buy. It's not a primary decision factor. Right. When you consult on branding mm. and branding is something I think about a lot, but there's also... I think sometimes people confuse the term with like packaging, physical branding yeah, versus the story, you know, and then there's like the whole 360 of the brand, right? Could, yeah. could you expand on what branding really is? Yeah. I mean, I guess in simple terms, I just look at it as like, the persona of the the brand like what is the personality what is its values you know what does it look like right so you could say let's say you know somebody you're the the leonardo dicaprio of bread making and that paints a picture to me of like his temperament his style his look like all that kind of stuff right so branding is the compiling of many parts of a business. And that is, what's the mission? What is the tone? What is the personality? What's the culture? You know, you have all these elements that make up the brand, right? So branding is really just kind of how you're presenting yourself to the world as like a, a, a persona, if you will. It's not, it's not just so if you're a st- visual identity and logo. There's The story is obviously part of that because it's part of like, who it is, right? That the, the, the way the story is developed is kind of like usually coming from a founder's starting point and the epiphany is just like my Costa Rica story, right? Right. And do you ever come across companies that bring you on that have some of those factors in play? Like maybe they have a really good physical look, but maybe they don't have like the complete personality. Or do they not have the story? Do they sometimes have some of the components of good branding, but not all of it? And is (laughs) that where you guys come in? Sometimes, but most times it's not on purpose. Like people will start selling because they have a good offer and a good product. 
And then they never formally really map out the brand. That's it's it's always been just be, they they ride a good product until they hit a ceiling, and they're like, okay, we need to take like we're stuck here now for the past year, two years. How do we move and push our brand to the next level? And that's when we have to come in and start really shaping it and bringing to the surface the key positioning and the elements of this brand to break through to people at a larger scale, right? So they're the only reason, so normally no, like normally they don't have much. They've gone, like some people are like, oh, I watched this course. I listened to this guy. I did this guy. I read this book and I have, you know, this mission statement and I have, and they're all just all over the place scattered stuff, right? And then it's that, like I said, they get stuck. But the reason that it's working is because they have a good product and it just sells, you know, because of it. And they have a nice little story about why they did it. So that will take people to a certain point call it $30,000, dollars $50,000 a month. And then that's when they get stuck is right around there. You think the same thing could happen to like a physical restaurant? Because I see restaurants get stale, you know, after the first two years. You know, a lot of people blame it on, we can't find help. The restaurant business is really tough. Prices are increasing. But yet you see certain restaurants that seem to be doing something right with <laughs> that, that to me seem to have a brand seem to have a story and they continue to kill it year after year. But I yeah. feel like the restaurant business, especially, and maybe it's like all other businesses, people don't really have a plan other than, you know, it's pretty good food. Part of, part of having good branding is you know where it's going. Like if you don't, if you don't understand, if you don't have clarity on the brand and where you're going with it, you can't obviously get there. You're just, you're just playing darts without a dartboard. So yeah, people drift. And they also have too many minds trying to make decisions. You know, Gordon Ramsay's going to be the best guy to ask about the restaurant business. But, uh, you know, at, at a surface level, most times big menus, shitty food, don't really know what direction they're taking things, lack of clarity. Lack of clarity is probably one of the biggest problems for entrepreneurs. And if they're confused, the buyer's confused, the customer's confused, right? They're never going to buy if they're confused. So they have a million ideas and they're like a dog chasing a squirrel. Every little squirrel that jumps up is a new idea and they want to chase after it. And that goes back to what I was talking about, about having focus on what's most important and being willing to cut out what's not. By the way, comedians, I've represented many comedians in my time. Same exact thing. There's a lot of them. You know, talk to one person. Oh my God, this person said I should do this. Oh, I met this person. They produced this. Oh, they're going to get me famous. They're going to do this. And they don't really have any focus on who they truly are, you know, and yeah. what they want to do. At the yeah. end of the day, they're just brands too. It's a big problem. Yeah. Vision um, clarity. It's key. The single mind thing. I, I, I did see you talk about that before as well. I have a problem with groupthink, especially if there's no hierarchy. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like sometimes, you know, the diplomacy and who has what idea and who's really deciding and whose vision is it could be a big issue here. Because <laughs> I think I saw, I've seen you write about sometimes one mind is better than two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I do believe that, yes, one mind is better than two. It is. It is tough to work in a group 
and make group decisions. So unless you have a clear leader who has the final say in the decision making, it can be different. It, it can be difficult. And there tends to be power struggles. Like everybody wants to have that say and they want to, like ego gets in the way. And so you can be making compromises on things in your early stages of the business, like whether they pivot or not on certain things or make certain decisions that actually lead you into just delaying the inevitable longer and longer, burning more cash. And, you know, I have experienced that at certain levels. And like I said, you know, I, I actually, you know, I, I did used to ha- have a, a wonderful co-founder. And so we did a lot of great things working together. But we did get to a point where I was making a decision to move more into these services. And I had actually two people, a co-founder and somebody else that we were almost going to give equity to as well, like a third. But they were not on board with the direction that my vision, right, as the original founder, my vision of what it looked like. I said, that's not what, that's not what we signed up for. Mm-hmm. And I go, but that's what we need to do. We have to do that to get where you ultimately want to go. Like that's a, a step that we're missing. Right. And they didn't see that as part of the process. And so yeah, we had to detach there because we it was it was all that confused constant conversation and not making these decisions that delayed this. But you know, I've since then five X revenue and it was the right decision. Like we're doing the right things now, you know. So those are hard decisions and unfortunate situations, but you could be with the greatest people in the world, but that doesn't mean that you're going to that you're not going to slow down progress through jumbled decision making. So you need a clear leader. You need someone who's going to be the end say. Right. You have different methods. I think part of this is in the online workshops that you give. You talk about the captivate method. Yeah. I'm curious to know a little bit about that and what it is. That was our course that we did as a collect a group when I had the team and everything that I was just talking about. Um, That was how to put storytelling at the heart of your marketing. So that was the course that we put together. And a lot of that was grounded in our personal experience. And so that was the Captivate Method. And it was great. It was a great course. But there were things about it that had missing elements that made it a struggle. And... That is kind of also partly that experience is what led to the bigger decisions that I made that ended up having us shake hands and walk away, right? So uh-huh. yeah, the Captivate Method was all about storytelling for your marketing. Cool. And website is uh, the primary hub of your business. Is that something you believe? And is that true for every business? <laughs> I mean, it's it's like any page online, whether it's your website or it's lead pages or quick funnels or whatever, uh, whatever the hell platform it is, it's real estate space. It's like buying a lot of land and then you can develop it however you want, right? Put your name on it, develop it, set it up. Is it the primary hub? Yeah, I, I would say it is, but I look at it as a sales machine, not a hub for information and all that stuff. It's like, how do we actually set that hub up to nurture people through the sales journey and get a sale? And so 
it could be set up depending on the category and business you're in differently to accomplish that goal of selling because different products require the different steps to get people through the buying journey. So how does one determine, how do I articulate this? Money, money is a factor, right? You take a guy like me who, you know, somewhat savvy on a basic scale, but at the same time, all the money I saved by not paying an expert developer, because there's a million types of developers, right? Everybody knows a web guy. Everyone could throw up this digital brochure with a shopping cart, which is essentially what I did with basic WooCommerce. I could have probably hired somebody for a lot more money, but it still wouldn't have worked the way you're describing Right. With the most efficiency and the absolute best practices for e-commerce. Right. Like that, you must have to pay an expert through the nose to get. You don't need to pay an expert developer or website designer to do that. And that's, that's exactly really? what we are not. <laughs> so, right, I always make this distinction. I don't need writers for our sales funnels and websites. And I don't need designers Okay, so technically speaking, yes, they know how to write and they know how to design. But what I need are people that know how to sell because we need to build out copy and we need to build out design through the lens of a salesman. Follow me? Uh So we need to be put our sales hat on with every step of what we do. So when I hire someone, I'm not hiring a writer, I hire a salesman and then they, they write to sell. <laughs> and then I hire someone and I, if I hire a designer, it's like, well, do you understand? Like what I, I have to understand, like, do they have a mind around selling? Do they sell products themselves? Do they understand sales? Like what, cause they have to design something in a way that they could take a manuscript and actually set it up with like sales intelligence. Right. So that all comes together that way. So if you have a website designer and you're like, Hey, bake my website, they will design your website, make it look pretty and set it up. Doesn't mean it's going to uh-huh. sell because they don't know shit about selling, right? What so about that, the tech part? Yeah, I like, mean, like, so, so what I'm hearing you say, maybe I have this wrong, but you seem to be like a general contractor. I come to you. You're a general contractor with expertise in e-commerce. You put the players together. They're going to help write the sales in the way things should be sold for the widget you're selling. That you'll pull in the right designer to make it look right. You'll you know enough about the abandoned cart and make sure the right tech is, is built into it. So you're putting all those players in. Is that what happens? Yeah. So basically people reach out, we get in touch and we say, well, I'm going to come in. We're going to take a look at things, get your, make sure your strategy is clear, your brand strategy and all that stuff. And then our team's going to come in there, find out like what the, like what's going on. And then we're going to set you up to sell. So I might need to write sales copy. We might need to build a sales funnel. might need to tweak some things on your website. Um, But we're going to figure out what the top priority is. And then we're going to get in there and create a a cash flow machine. Like we need to get the money moving first. Like, so our first priority is what is the, so typically that is 
We're going to set up a sales funnel system with a, a kick-ass offer that we know is going to crush. And then we're going to run ads to it. We're going to sell it and we're going to have back-end uh, sales. So yeah, you're, you're right. I, I built a team that I know and trust who can write these things and build these things as we need to. I mean, my guys can build it on ClickFunnels. They can build it on Shopify. They can build it on WordPress. doesn't matter the platform. They know how to, they just need the, 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 the we just point them over there and they can build it there. And they know they're salesmen. You know, like I, I go through sales with them and they, they, they get a sense now they know the flows and they know how all this works. So yes, like I see a lot of people hire designers. They're like, I spent 10 grand on this website, but I'm not selling anything. Yeah. Cause you got a guy who knows the tech and knows design, but he's never sold a thing in his life. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's tricky. And and I don't just sell e-commerce. I just, I, I e-commerce, I could so I used to do services and e-commerce. So if you want to sell courses, all that stuff, I've helped people do their like webinar funnels and all that kind of stuff. I just found that e-commerce was a little more interesting. And so we kind of niched down on it and started to specialize. But our specialty is selling. And we do it for really great brands in the e-commerce space. Um, you don't have to name the brands, but what what areas of expertise, what do they sell? What types of things? Yeah, so just to name a few to give you like a variety um, would be health and beauty. That's a big category. It would be, we have some really cool novelty furniture. So like like really cool pub tables out of like whiskey barrels from Jack Daniels and stuff, you know, like cool stuff like that. And we have things in the barbecue space that was kind of cool too, like to help people who don't have big budgets to buy smokers and stuff. We have a children's book that's really changing the game for education with children. So there's a children's book. Uh, so stuff like that. We have a pretty wide gamut. But all these people were making a gross of 40000 a month already? Yeah. I mean, like the children's book, the year before we spoke to them, they made over a million dollars. You know, uh, Health Shit, and Beauty. I'm doing something yeah. wrong. Yeah, they, they're making, they were doing anywhere from, the Health and Beauty was doing anywhere from 40 to like 60. And then we came on board and we got them up to 100K in the second month, right? So we boosted them that much, right? Some of the changes we did literally add 10 grand a month and we didn't have to do a, spend a dollar. It was just the tweaks that we made on the website and stuff, you know? And then right. um, some of my earlier, earlier partners I took on were before that milestone. So I evolved to niche into people who are making at least 40 or 50 now. Um, but I have some clients that were earlier staged what happens though when you right. do that is they have a you have to get into now a process of brand building. Like so that's another right. step, which is not really a step I want to get into. So the reason we do 40 to 50k a month as a starter is like we want them to have a little bit of a footing with like their audience, they're making some sales. Um, we can get in there and really move the needle to like a seven-figure business, right? It's it's a whole other process when you're earlier than that because now you have to build the audience, you have to build brand equity, you got to get awareness. That's a whole other marketing strategy. You know what I mean? Got it. Wow, pretty enlightening. Um, <laughs> I, I I hope it's not discouraging for me. I'm gonna have to process this conversation. No, your process <laughs> is just where does the like? Yeah, I, I mean it's hard. Like I guess in my mind it these thoughts come to me more naturally, but they didn't always. And it's only because I have the experience, right? I've, I've been through it with clients. I've been through it myself and all this stuff. 
And I have, I, all I think about is selling. So like, just like your bread thing, trust me, I'd be going for that strategy. <laughs> There's your, that's your million dollar nugget for free. Yeah. You know what my problem is, to be honest with you, is the ability to produce that demand. I, I'm not set up to produce it. And that's, that's the struggle I have with a, but yeah. you know, yeah. well, there's an extra, there's an extra layer to my problem, which is my most popular bread. I'll talk about it another time. We'll, Jim, we'll, talk, Jim, we'll sidebar just, that uh, one. Here's one last tip for you. Those yeah. self-talk comments, those are your limiting yep. beliefs, okay? I hear you, man. And I'm with you on that. It's just an obstacle I have to overcome. And I, I think- not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. Yeah. We'll leave it at that, man. Two other questions. You're really happy with what you're doing now and where you are in your life? I love what I do now. Yeah, because I, I wake up every day and there's, you know, um, I'm, I work with people that I want to work with that are super cool. They're ambitious. They're doing good things. I'm supporting brands that are awesome, like the children's book, the organic skincare, good for people. It actually works. I'm on text message-based relationships. But this is not for the faint of heart. Like, I got people's businesses in my hands. And, you know, you're always going to have the roller coaster of up days and down days. Sales are down. Oh, no. Like, you know, like, that's stressful. Or there's really tough categories, like a children's book. Who would have thought one of the toughest things to sell with advertising? It's hard, man. Like that does not stick easy. And so we've really been challenged there and we're just getting the wheels really moving now. So you have those stressors, but if you're not willing to take on those stressors, you're not going to be in a high earning space, you know? So. Right. When you were a teen, what did you want to do for a living? I didn't even think about it. I had no really? I had no thought about what I want to do for a living. No. I was I was I was out skateboarding, you know, partying, having a good time. Didn't really give a damn about, you know, school and all that stuff. I never did. And then I got in college and I my last two years I buckled down because I had to graduate and I did I did pretty good. But for the most part, like high school and everything, ah, oh, I was I Sports and skateboarding and partying. I didn't think about careers. And you turned out okay, man. You turned out okay. And I'm going to teach my son the same thing. It's not about what you go to school for. It's how do you learn to shape the world around you? Meaning, like, how do you make, how do you get people to give you money? What can you do? Like, how, how does that work? Figure that out. You'll never go hungry. Just learn how to sell and make money. Like what makes a good product? What makes a good offer? Why do people buy? What's the psychology? Then you could do anything. Just know how to sell this stuff. And what people do is they set up businesses based on things they, and they just don't know how to do these things. So they can't get it off the ground. So if you can learn that stuff, it doesn't matter how good your math is. You know why? It doesn't matter how good you know your history. You know why? Because I can get into a business And I could start selling. And then when I hit a crossroad where it's like, I need to know my numbers, I'm going to learn the math to know my numbers. Now I learn math, right? Oh, I need to know something. uh, uh, I'm going to read the biography of uh, Rockefeller. Why? Because there's good lessons in there. So now I know some history. Like you do it as you need it to progress in carving out your path, right? But like to me, just, just learn the skills of selling and 
what really makes that work. And you're going to be in good shape. Just like Guy Kawasaki from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, not Guy Kawasaki, what's his name? Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's going to say, I wanted to be an investor. I want to be in this quadrant, right? The four quadrant book. And he goes, I had to learn like taxes and like all this other crap that I hated and I didn't want to know. But I did it anyway because I wanted to be an investor, right? I had to fill the gap. I had to learn those things, those skills. It's not like I had to go to school and do it. I just did it. And you know, he's like, everybody wants to follow their passion. And then they, they just avoid all those cringe list things. I don't want them to do taxes. I'm not interested. Well, then you can't be an investor, dude. And you can't make good money if right. you're not financially educated. So get over it. Right. Do what you got to do. <laughs> Remember, know where you want to go. If you know you want to be an investor, then you know exactly what steps you have to take to get there. It's really not rocket science. Wise advice. Adam Force, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. I have a lot to think about it. All right, buddy. It's fun to chat, man. Thanks again. (laughs) Likewise. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.